ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Colts Coffee and Conversation. My name is Carl. Molly. And it's nice to be with us again. I hope you watched the first episode. Today we're going to be talking about the second episode of Wild Wild Country. If you have not seen episode one, and if you've not heard our first episode of episode one, then don't listen, quite frankly. Uh, you need to do that first before you uh, jump the gun here. Yes, go back and listen to it. Yes, it's a very informative. We the setup's pretty much there. Uh, now we're going to get into uh, starting to get into a little sink our teeth and do a little bit more. So uh, yes, and there's something else you want to mention. Uh, yes, of course we have to do our disclaimer. That's right, our disclaimer. We're just standard people, regular people. Uh, we are Joe and Jane Smith. Uh, we uh, go to work every day. We do our thing. We're just basically looking uh, at it at a, a perspective that uh, is an outside perspective, a non-biased perspective. We're just kind of taking a look at breaking it down. You know. That's pretty much the skinny of it. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in and sink our teeth into it. Go ahead, Holly. Okay, so the episode starts with the Oregon Attorney General. Is that right? Yeah, and, Robert Weaver. Okay, and he is speaking about about this this whole thing about the Roshnish taking the Big Muddy Ranch in Oregon in 1981. That's correct. Mm-hmm. He is the, the assistant, actually, a district attorney, uh, where he kind of sets it up to where he's a very driven man talks about the only thing he had to worry about when he was the the assistant uh, U.S. District Attorney was to be great at what he was, and he was. Uh, just a little side note that he's a very smart smart man. Just so you guys know, he's a graduate of Notre Dame, a cum laude actually, in, uh, at Notre Dame, and also at Notre Dame Law. So there you go. And uh, also just a side note, he represented Tanya Harding. Just letting you know, so in case he looks familiar. Now, the, the, he said something... At the end of his section, that was a quote that you would like yeah, to Yeah, the quote say. was, this was not motivated by greed. This was evil. Yes, this was pure evil. Pure evil, yeah. So the first part that we're going to break down is, it was when they arrived. Yes, all, all three of the... Uh, now, who is they? Uh, we, we they, I'm sorry, talking uh, we're, we're talking about Ma Shanti B, Swami, and uh, Sheila. Okay, and they're part of what organization? They are part of the, uh, the they're, they're members of the Rajneesh group. Okay, and they, yes. Yes, okay. uh, so basically it opens up with beautiful scenery. And before we even go there, we need to also take a note that there is a hidden character in, in all these these episodes that we are watching all together. And that's the music. I think it's important that we point that out because believe it or not, they set the tone for everything. And this is where the beautiful music comes in which gives a kind of sense of peace and opens up to Wasco County, Oregon. And it's beautiful rolling hills and mountains and it's kind of like it looks like it's in the um looks like in like October or maybe early January or February in Oregon. But it opens up and we're talking about of what Miss Ma Shanti B her first uh, impressions are that she was told now Ma Shanti B of course just a real quick uh, thing is that she was she was she was in Poon. She was in Poon of the ashram. Well, she was told she's going to fly her and her entire family to Oregon. She jokingly said she didn't know where Oregon was. She had an idea, but not so much. Right, and they were supposed to get clothes that would fit in with America, that's right? Cor- that, that's correct. Well, she said it was all a big blur. The, the The only thing that she does remember is to buy clothes that were acceptable in America, like jeans and t-shirts. But, but of course, was, yes. orange. Yeah, <laughs> had to be had the to be color orange. orange. A color orange. But when she when she when she was in that sleep as you call it verbatim sleepy little town of antelope she said that uh they go through the sleepy town and they're driving up to the the to the ranch and she said she was overwhelmed and it was rugged and it was vast 
it was, it was wild, wild country. country. Yes, yeah, that's nice. what I think. That was part of maybe where the documentarians took that. It made it a title. And you of know what? This documentary. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And then the Swami, he was the the lawyer. The lawyer that 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 obviously is a, a member of the the Rajneesh. He was uh, shocked that they that they were in the. Ge- geographically center of nowhere, as he, as yes, he calls that was, it. Yes, he was laughing. Uh, uh, and he describes the bus ride, how it was windy. And then he gets to the valley, and he just breath is taken away. He's just just overwhelmed with such pure, raw beauty of the place. Okay, and then the the last person? Sheila. Sheila, the, the, the one you love to hate and hate to love. She... Uh, her whole thing was is that they shows the footage of her with the big old huge map and she's looking around and she's saying that wherever you see you own you know because remember the ranch was 64 uh thousand acres yes. and then what is that uh it's more like what was that in mile square no, miles 100 square miles so basically if you take for a vision you take the whole city of manhattan from the the uh, wall street district area all the way up to to harlem you take that Top to bottom, left to right, and you add Brooklyn on top of it. Yeah, that's quite a bit. That's a vast chunk of land. And uh, of course, it was mountainous, and they had it was mountainous and was and rugged. it also had uh, lakes or so on well, there. Well, not necessarily. We'll we'll get okay, to that get in a second. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. but there was nobody else there. It was very rugged, very mountainous. It was 19 miles from Antelope. You know, she she mentioned about Antelope itself. There was when she was there. She barely saw five people walking around. She called it a ghost town. She said that it was clear that they arrived at the promised land. That's okay. what she called it. All right. Well, that th- that was their experience about as far as the land goes. Okay. Now yeah. they now they wanted to set up. Now the, the now mind you, nothing's been built yet. They they get there, and what they're doing is is that they're 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 setting up their infrastructure. Basically, is what they're trying to. They decided to become self government. Now. In the state of Oregon, there are certain laws become a self-government, which basically to create their own their own town, their own city. Their laws is that 150 citizens can create their own community slash city. So what happened was is that uh, they decided to do a, a vote. Uh, it was 154. They and they voted. were registered voters. Were so registered these voters. were American registered voters. That is correct. And they voted unanimously, 154, unanimously to incorporate. Now, they use that word a lot in incorporate. Basically means become a city. Okay. So just in case they're... A municipality. Yeah. And when the benefits of being a municipality is they can uh, have their own building codes. Yes. They can levy taxes. Well, what they could do is, is they can issue, like you said, its own building permits so they don't have to go through any red tape. Uh, they can have their own law enforcement. Yes. Uh, they can have their own fire department. They're self-governing and also that the, the, to uh, have, uh, well, they, they decided to also add public transportation. Yes, and this is very good. They were they were actually creating a planned city. That's correct. And that, that city, which we should probably mention its name since we're talking about, is uh, Rashanish Purim. That's, okay. that's when it was established in 1982. Now, I remember in this documentary that they had like a, a, a long table. It appeared that they had some kind of city council there. Yeah, it was their first city council. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, uh, with the, this is in the, the, the uh, embryonic stage of them uh, uh, getting everything together. Uh, mind you, when they did come over, they only had 100 people or so at, at this time because they still had to get prepared. But... Uh, Sheila's comments in regarding uh, to to creating uh, the Rosh Nish Purim 
Oh, is that where people can, and this is a quote, uh, people can live in harmony, people can live in love. It's an example for all the universe. That's her quote in regarding her okay. love for what she wanted to do. And then did Swami say something about Yeah, that? Swami, he, he, he was fascinated by the idea. Uh, he said uh, the city would be based on love, uh, compassion, and sharing, and uh, not uh, ownership, greed, and, and anger. That's his yes. words. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you had good little Miss Sunshine. Uh, her name is uh, Ma Prem Sunshine, but we're just going to call her Sunshine. No, she she's a character that start that 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 makes her Entrance grandiose into this. debut of this story. Yes, yeah, exactly. And um, what was her function in that at that time? Well, she was in consumer relations, which pretty much is a public figure, a speaking figure for for uh, basically to be used for the uh, the, the press, press. Right. the press. Okay. Yeah, um, and uh, when they're talking about the building. Of the t- of the t- of the city of of uh, Rashinchpuram, is it uh, to use advanced technology where to fuse harmony and nature together? So, okay, so now let's get back into what did they start building? What did they actually well, accomplish? Well, before well, they actually well, since if you if you taken a look at the first uh, the first episode, you know they were doing uh, their their meditations and their their worshiping or whatever that was in Poon. Right? That was in Poon. That's correct. Well, at this point of the thing, or uh, this point of the story, Sheila, uh, she had sp- sp- specific. She she wanted specific people to come. Yes, people she had that to... knew how to do things, well, like yes. architects, plumbers, well, well, people with... that willing to work. Yeah, she uh, she said her quote: uh, "Lazy people we don't want." Uh, meditator, <laughs> the way she said it was funny. Uh, meditators are a later, uh, later priority. She kind of did a hand yes. gesture of like they're 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 down yes. there. Because now it's time for the work. Yes. And that's what she did. Now, I forgot, oh, what what was the next person that was uh, talking? The next, person, Sunshine. the next person after Sunshine, he he was in the first episode, we, and this was the gentleman's name we forgot. I forgot his name, uh, John Nadada. Uh, we're just going to call him Jay. Uh, Jay Ananda. That's yes. actually the slower pronunciation. Right. We're going to call him Jay. He's the president of the Rajneesh International. Even to this day. To this day, yeah. He's still active in the Rajneesh movement. Now, he was he knew uh, where to uh, get the experts, the architects, the the uh, the designers, all the, the, the brain. The right, brain and his, behind his career prior to this was a commercial bank. Yes. Well, yes, you are correct. Um, you know, the, he basically had the option to gather a pool of all the creative people, and brainstorm to create an actual city from scratch is what uh, uh, was said. And, yeah, they uh, even included city planners. Yeah, they did include city planners. Uh, now the work was very tenuous. They worked in three to four shifts. Uh, this was per uh, around Sheila. the clock, right? Uh, basically around the clock, mostly a minimum sixteen-hour day. Yeah. They worked till they dropped. Basically, uh, the original uh, amount of people were about roughly around a hundred in the beginning of the uh, the infrastructure both men and women it's very important that we add to that because they really preface that not only men do it the women got dirty too they right. did a lot of the construction as well they did a lot of the digging they did bulldozer work the track and they show the footage of it so yes you know they, they really made a point to make sure that the women were also very uh, excuse me important important in the build now what they were building was uh they built a power plant for about ten thousand people but we'll build the roads. Big pressure on building the roads. Yes. Plumbing all over the ranch, uh, internal plumbing, and then uh, a frames. The a frame houses. The housing. The housing. There were townhomes. A frame townhomes. Then they built a shopping center. They had uh, banking. They had an operating bank, which they had 
in Poon also as well. They just brought the bank. But now this is American. It's an American And this is, uh, you know, there's a lot of things. I'm not, it'd be interesting to know what kind of banking system that was in those days. I don't think it would fly these days because of pre- 9-11, 9-11, there's a whole different deal. It's a whole different animal. Yeah. Mm. But in those days, it was probably a regional bank, and they... Probably you know, like, a, like, a, like a... Well, probably, they probably ran it like a credit union does today. Yeah, a local something credit of that union. nation. Yeah, they also uh, had a boutique, but of course, the color scheme was limited, as they put it. Was it <laughs> red and orange? Red yeah. and orange, that's about okay. it. You can kind of see... Uh, uh, when they uh, when Swami was talking about it, it's like eh, a little limited on the color, but the color but they scheme. also had a meditation center. Which well, I... we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. But there's another couple things we need to discuss okay. first before we get to that that impressive build. Well, there's two impressive builds that well, there's three total actually. I apologize. Okay, so let's there's three do, total. The uh... first one was the airport. They built an airport where you can actually have airplanes land. Well, yes, because it was way out in the middle of nowhere, and if they wanted to have special VIPs... Now, this is not the airport where the regular Roshnishis would go. They would... It, I believe they would go and, and land in Portland or somewhere, and then they would go get them. But Or, or do you think no. that they, they had all the Roshnishis come on their own charter flights? It's or? A, it, that's a fantastic question. I wouldn't put it past him if they. But I flew thought it was more for the convenience of the upper echelons. I would I would assume so, but it was uh, to this day it's still a running airport. Yes, but I just thought well maybe okay, but go ahead. Yes, it's they did an airport. airport. Then they uh, built a dam, a big, huge, massive yes. dam. With in fact, their, they said they had little sub dams. What I forgot. What uh, those are. Uh, oh shoot! What are those called? That was the. Well, they had a system of dams. Yeah, it was a system of dams. I'm trying to come. Uh, check dams. They're called okay. check dams. All right. But the, but we're talking about the big one. This is the one where you see the scene where they're flying it over, and there's that monument, the the bird, the bird, the the town logo of Rashi okay. Purim, the bird. That thing was massive. Uh, from up up top, it looked a little small, but no, that was actually a a huge with a circular with the dove or whatever. Yes. That they built that. That was not there. And then also. The ten thousand person meditation hall, that was an impressive build. That's basically what it is. If you take a look at the structure itself, it looks like just a large metal tent. But it, but when I saw them building the the, the framing of it, they also had insulation. Insulation installed first before they put the cap on it. So it's an impressive build. I mean, when you take a look at it, because they even showed an aerial view, that thing was huge. Well, they said they could put up to ten thousand people. Ten thousand people in it. Yeah. Sheila called it once it was all done because it, it didn't take them. The funny thing is, it didn't take them that long to build all this because no, they also, had a massive they amount did of workers. Solar power. They did do solar power as well. Well, that's where we're getting to the agricultural. But but Sheila on the finished product, uh, she called it the Shangri La that everybody dreamed of. Everybody wanted to be a part of the Shangri La, but they never made it as far as build it. She called it the Shangri-La. Right, because they've never done anything like this in the existence of the Earth or the yes. world. No, that's, that, that's, now, that's accurate. As I'm thinking about it, the only thing that would come close in imagination to it was Epcot Center that Walt Disney wanted to create, never was able to. But it was the city of the future. Yes. So in, her, in their mind, this was their city of the future. This was their, you know, like This you was said, their Mecca. You know, if you want to call it that. This was supposed to be... Well, no, this was supposed to be the international headquarters of their movement. Yes. Okay, so let's go uh, on. Now, but the thing is, is that we also need to understand is that since they did all the infrastructure, 
And they're going to have all these people here, quote unquote, 10,000 people. Yeah, we're talking plumbing too for everything. Well, plumbing was there. But now you got to talk about food. That's important part, the agricultural part. Now they used cutting edge even in in those days, even now is what we use today with the low water usage, but the high reward. Um, If you take a look at how they were doing it, they literally were using rocky soil. There's a scene where you see where they actually have dynamite and they're blowing things up, big old huge plots. There's a lot of rich soil underneath all that heavy, thick rock. They removed all of that. You know, they did a, uh, they called it a ran, uh, I'm sorry, a land reclamation. Yes. It's a land reclamation project. And they had their own chickens. They, they show the chickens like this huge, massive things of chickens, horses and cattle. They made their own, obviously they had their own eggs because of the chickens. They had their, they made their own cheese there. They made their own uh, beef. That, uh, right. So they were very self-sustained, very self-sustained and it was organic also, right? Yeah. And uh, they were, they, uh, the check dams were the important part of it. Because this is where they said that they were turning the desert green. And when you see it, when they're talking about this part of the thing, you see the, the overlaying of these beautiful rivers and just green everywhere. And the wildlife was coming back. Yes, Because well, at this time, right. this time there was really not much wildlife. Because I guess in the past, from what was said in the uh, when they were finished and were talking about the land reclam- uh, reclamation project, is that... That the, the 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 land was used so much that the soil is pretty much dead. So that's why they had to dig in a few layers. So anyway, uh, they deserved they 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 feel that well she deserved that they felt they deserved a noble price for that. Which I honestly I have to agree. This one I agree with Sheila that what they did transforming of the land and how they did it it's very impressive. And it was also in a fairly short period. Extremely of time. fairly short period of time because at this time the Bogwan wasn't there yet. He arrives now in August of 1981. They showed up. Uh, this was all. I think they did all this, and I think a couple months. They were busy, busy bees. So we'll talk about the arrival of the Bogwan. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, the way Sheila describes it, because we talked in the first episode and read how she has a romantic, fantasifical—that's a word—relationship with the Bogwan. She's in love with them, but it's a different type of love. I mean, right, so she was enamored with she him. She was enamored with him. And so, so she ended up, he was her master. This was a story that we talked about in the first yes, episode. Yes, well, well, the way she's describing it is, is like when a bride is seeing her husband for the first time. That's why I'm bringing it up. Right for the first time, so she wanted everything perfect. So, of course, they did a spot to clean up all over his specific living quarters. Uh, they rolled out 400 uh, green lawn carpets. And if you guys familiar with the green lawn carpets i think it's like one feet by two so four thousands they laid it basically it's an instant lawn they bought peacocks and they show the beautiful peacocks and she did a really good number to impress him on, for the right first and the airport was done so he was able he to, was fly able to fly right in and absolutely you show him getting off the plane and into a vehicle going straight in his rolls royce going straight to the uh to the place the question that i had prior to to this was where was he when they were building all this well he was Right, because he had to leave had to India. Leave. He had to leave India. So he had to go somewhere. Well, I found out that he went uh, to a, uh, a Rajneesh uh, retreat center in uh, Kipps Castle, Montclair, New Jersey. So that's where he's he was being taken care of. He was diagnosed with prelapsed discs. So from what I read that they were flying the medication and stuff from London, from a Rajneesh doctor in London over to New Jersey. So... So anyway, they had the welcoming music, so basically they rolled out the quote-unquote red carpet for him. Yeah, so basically he's now officially in his chair. 
the wind's blowing through. She's talking very poetic and regarding yes. to... And it was like she accomplished quite a bit. Yes, and he was very pleased because she said that you could see the love in his eyes for, for the people that did the work. Okay. But now we have the flip side of all this, and that's the town folks. Right, so there's people in Antelope. There's people in Antelope, so it shows that the quote-unquote, then the strangers arrived. That's how the, the, the townspeople looked them as as that. Because there's a there's a scene where you see where the Bhagwan's walking down the street with Sheila, and there's a sea of people in orange walking down the street of Antelope. So if you if you come from a small town like that and you see this happening, it raises an eyebrow. It raises an eyebrow. And also during this time, there was a... Uh, I couldn't find the publication who published it, but there was a national publication in regards to the sex guru is here kind of thing. So okay. that kind of stirred up a nasty you know, mindset as well okay. in the people's minds. But there's Mr. and Mrs. McGreer, okay. uh, who are the local ranchers. It's the, it's the couple, the older couple. The uh, Mr. McGreer is like, where did all the nonsense come from? You know, when he saw them walking down the street. And then his wife was like, I guess it was the red clothing. You know, this mm-hmm. it, it's just not normal for them to see stuff like this. And these are all younger people, too. And they're younger, yeah. You know, it's just come from a small, quiet town, and then this happens. You know, he's bringing, just walking down the street, double, maybe triple the population of the town. So you there, there's an intimidation factor there, and I can see it. Uh, Mr. John Bowman, when he said when they showed up, they had the look. They just called it the look where he was under, they were looked like they were under a trance. Uh, Mr. John uh, uh, Silverstreet. I call him Silverfoot, but it's Silver Street. Uh, he thought that they were weird, and he said that you know he was a hypnotist before he came here. So he said if you crossed your arms, it would give him that sense of go away kind of thing. So, you know that's what he did. You know he crossed. And they his did arms. go away, right? Yeah, they did for a it, minute. I mean, yeah. as far as, as far just as like a, like a being approachable, space. Yeah, yeah, being approachable. Okay. You know the and then the local towns over people overall said that they were not ready for all this because it's a sleepy, quiet town. It's a retirement town. You know. That's, they just weren't ready for all this. Right. And then this is where we bring in to uh, uh, our, our newest character or person in the story, and that is uh, the mayor, Mayor uh, Margaret Hill. Now, we talk about the mayor, uh, the position of the mayor. Do you want to? Do you elaborate on it, or do you want to? Um. Well, the 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 because it was such a small town, mainly about forty people, they would take turns being mayor. Of the town, it happened to be her turn to be mayor of the town. Right now, from what the people say, especially I guess maybe the McGreers, that's saying that it, it was kind of good because she was very strong. She was. Uh, they did an interview with her saying that they were truly welcome to the community at first. Okay. You know they because you know it's just, you know something fresh, something new. Now but, they were nineteen miles away from Antelope. But the only thing is that if they needed supplies or anything. That's where they had to go. They had to go there because that's the closest town by far. So that's where they would go because they had a, a local store. We'll get into that later. But but then they started pushing their weight around a little bit. Now, when the story broke out that the Reshnishis were there in Antelope, she started receiving a ton of mail and a ton of uh, 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 you know letters and things. And articles, right? They articles were... that, they, that were from all, the, all parts of the world. About how these people are—that it's a sex cult—and and, and some, one of them was a lady from Australia looking for her daughter, and she doesn't know where they're at, and that. that so kind they of were kind of getting alarmed, you know. Yes, now, now people are being warning them about this. So they, so what? I'm sorry, the mayor. 
Margaret Hill. Margaret, Margaret Hill. Hill. So then she starts looking into it. Yes. All right. And, she, and she's talking to the other townspeople about yeah, it. Yeah, mostly uh, the uh, the McGreers. The McGreers were one of the... Now, actors. was there one thing, it was a, a, a documentary that they ended up watching. It was about the ashram in Poon. The ashram in Poon? Yeah. Yes. We... We can we can jump to that if you want. Well, I don't know. Are we jumping? Yeah, we're jumping a little bit because okay. we have to talk about the locals. Well, what the the main thing was is that what the locals felt. This is not what was really happening. This is how they felt. They at the how time. they felt okay. at the times they felt that uh, the Rajneesh, they thought they would just lay down and let them do whatever they wanted, but they didn't think they would put put up a fight, and they they thought that they were not very smart and very ignorant. Okay, so now the Rajneeshis were thinking that the townspeople would just lay down and let them mow them over yes. and that they were very unintelligent that's correct now now during this time I was getting a lot of uh, uh obviously not just local attention but national attention and a little bit of global attention another character steps into play here and that's a william gary the deputy attorney general that he comes into play now during this time this was just uh, um well he openly was worried basically the during this time is when jonestown hit now, okay, now that was actually I know the, this date. It was in uh, November eighteenth, uh, nineteen seventy eight. That's correct. Yes, and I remember that, and I remember hearing about that on the news, and it affected me quite a bit. Yeah, I read the book two or three. I think it's no three times. I read the book three times in regarding that. That's a fascinating. That's right, a fascinating we may do read, a but, series. On yeah, we'll that. probably do a series on that. But if you guys aren't aware of it, Google it. It's 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 jaw dropping. But just a kind of a rough breakdown is Jonestown situation. They didn't want a repeat of Jonestown. Jonestown was where nine. It was run by Jim Jones. Yeah. Uh, he was a preacher where uh, he convinced either convinced and or killed nine nine hundred and seventeen people. So uh, that's, what drink, yes. that's where the comment of drinking the Kool Aid. So That's so, what happened is, is he he was a person, very strong personality, based on Christianity. I wouldn't call them Christians, but that's because we're Christians and we have our they standards. They hid under that umbrella. But they did hide under that umbrella, and they were from the uh, Bay Area of San Francisco that's Bay correct. Area. And so he had a very diverse congregation, black, uh-huh. white, all kinds of difference. But he ended up buying a large piece of land in Guyana, which is in uh, South America. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Long story short, they had their Shangri-La. They had all their farming. They had they their communalists living and everything. Yes. So there was some alarm bells going off. And at that time, uh, Senator, I'm sorry, Congressman uh, Leo, Leo Ryan. Ryan came to see this place. And he was accompanied by others. But what happened is... He saw what was going on. They were seemingly, I, I didn't review this too much, but from what I recall, as they were leaving, somebody from Jonestown ended up shooting and killing him. Well, yes. Uh, what Basically what happened was, was that he was basically kind of just humoring the people that were constantly berating him about you right, need to go. Right, because their kids were there. Kids you need there. to look at this. It's dangerous. Yes, it just something wasn't, quote unquote, right in the Kool-Aid. You know, and that's where the terminate term term comes from is from these people, is that uh, he went over to take a look, took an investigative look on it. For the most part, it looked like people were pretty happy, but then someone tried to kill, tried to stab him at, at the at the place itself, okay. at Jonestown, and that's when he's like, okay, you know what? Uh, we're going to get. Do you want to leave? Here. I'm leaving tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, come with us. What happened was is that they basically 
got ambushed at the airport where Leo Ryan was unfortunately killed. Yes, and so because of that, obviously Jim Jones knew it was going to be bad for them, and so he 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 decided to. He told everybody. Well, he had they poisoned this this Kool Aid. Yeah, they poisoned the Kool Aid with I think of cyanide. It didn't matter. It was it doesn't bad. matter. Either it was bad. Once you drank it, it was done. Yeah. So it we won't go into any more of that. that. But, yeah, but, uh, but so but, so this was why they were so upset and concerned because it's it's not the belief system it's not of the christian or hindu or this or that it was the fact that there was a strong personality that um a lot of people that were disenfranchised or they were vulnerable flocked to this strong personality they lived communally they were separated from you know the normal society and there was like a lot of earmarks of this type of thing and i'm telling you this was only 1981. Yeah, this is only just... It's, what, three years, three years after? Three years after the incident, and it was and still fresh. it was very fresh. Well, and, and also what also brought the attention to this as well is that Leo Ryan's daughter, Shannon Ryan, was actually a Rajneesh. Yes. So which, and she, which brought more to her name. Uh, she changed her name to Pre, Pretum. Yes, and she took her insurance money that, be, she, that she benefited from, from her father's death, death, and gave it... To the Roshnishis to enter into their society, because of course you know you have to. You can't just be poor. You just you have to. Got to bring something to the table. Everything you know, as far as money goes, goes into their organization, and then you live. Well, yeah, and they did a a story with her on that, which, you know, which is the it was very ironic because that that's what you know William Gary was was worried about. And she mentioned that if my dad survived Guyana, he would have come here and say he would have my support because it's nothing like that. Which is an interesting fact because you can't say what somebody would really like or not like. That <laughs> but is true. they're dead. That is true. But they thought, the Rajneesi thought that all this was ridiculous as far as the attention goes. Right, and I did want to mention, you might, I'm sorry interrupting, but that the Swami did not like the comparison of Jonestown. And it, like... He didn't see the the correlation. No, he he thought, well, those were Christians and we're not. So it's like apples to oranges. We're nothing like them. He's talking about a lifestyle versus a belief system. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, he he brushed that off really quick. Yes. Very quick. And mind you, uh, Swami's still a Rajneesh. Yes. So it's not like right. he never left the, the belief system. So. And I don't think that Jim Jones initially was preparing everyone to die. No, he wasn't. They it were, was a last-minute decision. Last minute dis- dis- decision. So, And that was correct. where the Swami was wrong. Yeah. But well, anyway. Uh, Sh- well, Shannon Shannon Ryan, or Pritam, she's still a Rajneeshi. I looked it up. She's still involved heavily, and she married one of the, the upper echelons as well. They were married, I think, in 82, 83, or... Oh, no, I'm sorry, 84, and... Just, just still, they're still married to this day, so okay. they're still, they're still in. But yes, now we're going to get to the movie. Now, there was a movie that was done by a director, a German director named Wolfgang. I forgot his last name. It was called Ashram at Pune. Now, they released this in the town's movie theater, and this was to kind of show, hey, this is what we're all about. Now, well, no, actually, I was it. I was it. The Roshnishis wanted the town to see it? I don't think so. I'm not sure. I'm not very... No, because they... it wasn't flattering to them. No, it wasn't. So I don't um, think they were for it. I think that somebody said, hey, look, this is a well, documentary. Well, from what I understand, the BBC yes. was trying to get some access to who the Roshnishis were. Mind you, this is a global movement at this point. So 
I mean, they, there were uh, worship centers everywhere all over the world. So, they, but no one would ever talk about what what really goes on inside behind the right. doors. Right. So of, this of, is. So this was basically since the the producer Wolfgang, who was a Rajneesh, he decided to make this uh, this 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 movie. Now, of course, everybody from Antelope, which is not a lot, forty. But I think from around that area too. But in the area too, but the townspeople went to go see what their neighbors right. were like because they really didn't know. They just see. Okay, there's an old guy with the beard, Rolls Royce, odd, they rebuilt this thing, okay, wearing orange clothes, strange, but you know, but what happened was is that during this, I'm not going to get too much detail about what, because they do show the clips of, of what happened, which was <laughs> interesting to say the least, they show what was happening, and of course they talk about the five stages of... Right, and so they, they showed basically what they were doing in their meditation in their meditation center. this was basically he recorded a meditation uh, uh yes a session meditation and set. when you have that many people together and what they did it was violent at times and uncontrolled at times there was nothing to stop anybody from doing anything and it was shocking that this was going on, that this would even be legal at this point. Well, John Silverstreet went and saw it, and he his comment was it was a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it was a shock to the system, and he just, like when he was talking about it, he felt like a little kid who just saw something he shouldn't have saw. Yeah, and if anybody really wants to see it, it's, it is it's on YouTube. Oh, it's on oh, YouTube. You see, oh, God, no, yeah. I'm not even going to, no. no, I'm not scratching that itch. <laughs> but he said it was a shock to the system. Now, Miss Ashanti B, she said uh, in regards to this that uh, there was a footage of one of the members that she knew. His name was uh, Taya Fees, I believe his name was. Uh, she said that in the earlier days, there was no limitation, so it was okay to record. She noticed that it was an older recording of one of the sessions, but nonetheless, it was okay at that time. Where Sheila, she instantly got defensive and said it was a violation of the group of individuals but she never denied that now this is what we do she didn't deny it like no we just not what it's about she said yeah well it was a violation okay so so when the downs people saw that and even if they didn't see it they i'm sure that people would have told them about no 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 no. everybody to my understanding everybody in the town saw it okay everybody did and that's where uh the couple uh the mcfees the mcgreers mcgreers i'm sorry the mcgreers uh, Mrs. McGreer, she said that uh, you know she used that uh, Emma Burke quote that all uh, all that's necessary for evil is to is for good men to do nothing. So this is after they watched that movie. This is when the township kind of took a step back and said, "Okay, uh, we're in it to win it." This is where the, the the fight begins. Right. I think there was something like she, Mrs. McGreer said, like it really wasn't something they ever thought they would have to do in yeah, their life. Yeah, it was one of those things where that it, it's it, they were at that point. The township was at that point where it's like, this is not what we asked for. This is not what we wanted. But if we don't do something, it's gonna only gonna get worse. Right. Okay. What was the next step then for Antelope? Well, this is where this is where the uh, thousand friends of Oregon come come into play. Okay, so let's uh, let me talk about the Thousand Friends of Oregon. Sure. Um, I think. Do I need to start with Bill Bowerman? Yeah, and then I think, go I, think on? I think it's important that you set up Bill Bowerman first to understand yes, the thousand, the concept of the Thousand Friends of Oregon. So John Bowerman is one of the interviewed p- persons in this uh, documentary. His father is Jim. I'm sorry, Bill Bowerman. Now Bill Bowerman uh, and the whole family, great great grandfathers, started. 
this area started antelope in 1869. Right, and just, just I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. This is the guy I call the guy with a hat. Okay, yes. Yeah. John Bowerman. <laughs> now, his father was very, uh, very unique person. Mm-hmm. Let's a little bit about him. He served in World War Two, mm-hmm. and he he fought in the mountains in Italy. Mm-hmm. So, it was so he was so good that he went behind enemy lines, and he convinced the uh, German. Eighth Army to surrender. Yes. Okay. And he did receive many decorations for that. Mm-hmm. He went on after World War II yeah. to the University of Oregon at Eugene and trained track and field. Now, one of the comments that one of them made, I think it was the Silver Street one, mm-hmm. that he said this this Bill Bowerman was like Queen Elizabeth. Yeah, Queen of England. Yeah. yeah in London. He was like that in Eugene. He was just... A godlike figure. Well, not godlike. No, not godlike, but he was. Oh, well. Anyway, he was very prominent. There's a statue of him. Yeah. He has his own statue. So, what happened with him is he won four collegiate championships in track and field. National titles. Mm -hmm. And people started going, wow, this is really great. So, they started coming out, supporting it. He was, you know, a lot of. So, he ended up. Oh. Getting twelve national championships in in in, in track and field in, in, 12 in individual events. events in individual yes. events yeah that 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 was unheard of. Then the Olympic Committee uh, wanted him uh, to train track and field for the Olympics in 1972 in yeah. Munich, but unfortunately he was there during the massacre of the Israeli Olympic team. That's correct. And it really kind of affected him to the where after he was completed with that he retired from coaching yes so he was you know thinking about things and he said man you know american shoemakers are not making very good athletic shoes let me see what i can do so he took an a waffle iron are you going to say something yeah real quick it wasn't athletic shoes as a whole it was track and field shoes okay sorry yeah it's okay track and field shoes and he took a waffle iron and he got some rubber and he kind of you know made crunched it it. yeah he melted it into this waffle iron he put it on some old shoes he tried to see how that was anyway it started the company what was that company nike incorporated yes so he was a co-founder of nike now his his son john bowerman mentioned of his father he never he didn't he never intended to become famous and rich but he ended up when they they sold and went public he became a a very wealthy man man. so of course bill bowerman in that sense is probably inherited quite a bit plus the ranch land and all and let's mention that the mcgreers had big ranch land they possibly had quite a bit of money and also that silver street person yeah This is going to make a difference in the next part of the story, in my opinion. We come now to A Thousand Friends of Oregon. Mm -hmm. Now, they were a group of environmental and land use organization. Yes. So they brought a lawsuit against the Rajneesh and wanted to have them remove all the buildings that were on the ranch. That's correct. What the thing was is, hey, ranch land's ranch land, farmland's farmland, and cities are for cities. That's correct. And so the ranchers of that, which would be the Bowerman, the McGreers, and the Silver Street, and 
all. They were figuring, you know, why are we getting a hotel with 400 people and a city of 10,000 people in the middle of nowhere? So this is the angle that they were looking at Mm -hmm. to try to stop this city. A thousand friends of Oregon had money and influence. And so, I'm sorry, Bill Bowerman was alive at the time. He didn't like what was going on. He had connections. So brought them in, brought the thousand friends of Oregon in to a lawsuit against them. Mm-hmm. Now, this really, <laughs> this really set off Sheila. Yeah. Okay. And she would, she did, she was very angry. Do you have anything to say about that? Well, I mean, they, what we're finding out is, is that what was said externally was not understood, or I'm sorry, what they told people externally, their real plan was to be create a city, but from what it looks like, they originally were just being agricultural group. That's what they sold Correct. it as. So yeah, so you few you know few people there doing the farming, and then when they started it, it was seen it, it was like agricultural. That. Yes, because to my understanding, if they knew they were trying to build a city in that ranch, they would have never sold it to them in the first place. So yeah, but Sheila, she called the uh, the thousand friends of Oregon as a poison. They used the law of land use to derail the dream of having a city. One of the things that they wanted to do was tear down all the buildings. Yeah, everything, all the hard work that they did, yes. Yeah, they wanted to tear them all down. And I mean, yes, that would upset anybody after all that effort and money and everything. And it was kind of like, how dare you even think about that? That's human. That's human nature. Yes. Now, one of the things... I don't blame Sheila for being that mad. Right. But one of the things that she said and was that uh, she, quote, they will paint those bulldozers with my blood Mm. if it comes to bulldozers and I will be proud to be under those bulldozers if they doubt my determination they are stupid they are unintelligent close quote yeah and she said it and she meant it yeah she did yeah she at this point uh, is what uh, Swami said that Sheila got her back lifted now that's the terminology when you have an angry dog (laughs) the back first or cat yeah the back starts to lift so yeah. Okay, so what was the next step then that the Rajneeshis were going to do because they could not have Rajneesh Puram out at the Big Muddy Ranch? They, so what happened was is that is that uh, Sheila's found loopholes. She found loopholes in a bunch of stuff, and she said, you know what, if I can't have my city at Rajneesh Puram at the, the Big uh, Muddy Ranch, I'm just going to buy my town. I'm going to buy my town. So she started purchasing properties all around the city of antelope now because about what about 50 percent of over over 50 percent of the property uh, was for sale at this time so she bought every bit of it and at asking price at asking price yeah that's something that we need to to get across is that she was a businesswoman first and foremost yet she was very upset but she also had the money backing so hence the loopholes she's like well okay I'm going to purchase this. I'm going to give you full price for what you're... The paying... The asking price. And a lot of these people, they put their property up for years and nothing... Years and nothing. No, no, not a nibble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she bought everything that they could. Uh, and then they started moving people into these homes. That's correct. Because, or the businesses because they needed a printing press uh, or a, a print shop. They needed, you know, different... They needed commerce because they yes. couldn't... They couldn't use the some of the buildings that they built. Mm-hmm for what they wanted to originally because right. of the the lawsuit. So they were housing people. So now that people of Antelope, now they actually have Rashnishis living yeah, in the neighborhoods. Of, yeah, instead of 19 miles away, they're <laughs> next door. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, uh, the, but the first thing that they did buy, the first thing, and that was the first domino that fell as far as the townspeople really turning on him was the uh, the cafe. Right. They That cafe was a sort of a social center. It was their social center. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Where they would come in and have breakfast, hang out, all that kind exactly. of thing. What, I mean, what are you going to do instead of a retirement home hanging out in the TV room? Right. And so it's kind of like the Varsity Burger of Anaheim, right? <laughs> Right, pretty much. <laughs> Bought it, and uh, I guess uh, from what the news report said is that the instead of fried bacon on the grill, it's fried bananas on the grill. Right, so, so they changed it up. They they changed the name to... Zorba the Buddha. Zorba the Buddha. <laughs> There's a reason for it. I don't remember right now what it was. But anyway, so there you go. And, of course, that, that really set the townspeople on edge about that. Yeah, they, they were saying, what the townspeople were saying that what happened to the cafe is the perfect example of what's happening to their town. Okay. And now this is where the that same time uh, Sheila comes into play, because Sheila's not uh, shy of the camera at all. She basically said that, you know, the town's bigoted, and she was sick and tired of their Mayflower mentality. Yes, so the Mayflower mentality is, hey, we were here first. Yeah, okay. we were here first. So but you, then, of course, you know, we can go all the way back to the... Uh, you know, indigenous people, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, Native Americans were here first, then the Mayflower came, for, you know, it, it's all about that. And, you know, she's a person that came over from India. Yeah. And she was, but she was college educated she's here in the United States. So she knew all about this kind of Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, yeah. And she knew how to, you know, how to speak. So, yeah. go and, ahead. And, and a large amount of the people actually did sell their properties. They sold it. Well, okay, so let's just go back to... The reason that they sold was, A, it was asking price, maybe even a little bit more. Maybe. They wanted to get out of this situation. They mm-hmm. didn't. They were retirees. It was fixed income. Right. And they didn't have the, they did not have the, the resources or the heart to do any of this fighting. They may have not even, you know, lived there all their lives. So they, they took their, they took the money and they ran. Mm-hmm. But the Bowermans, the McGreers, the Silver Street, they had money. Yeah. Because they were there forever. They were ranchers. Yeah. So that's kind of the difference. Well, And why those people, the other people, sold out so quickly and ran for it. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't blame him. But even he's, Mr. Silver Silver, uh, Street said that, you know, you know, people just, you know, he explained it. They're on a fixed income. I don't blame them, you know. Because Sheila mentioned, she says, well, they can take the price that I offer them, or well, eventually... Well, if they well, don't sell now, they will sell at my price. Yes. So it was, you were going to take a loss. If you're not going to do it, we'll just wait till you're that desperate. I'll throw half a check at you, and you'll still take it, just to get out. Right. So basically, that's where she, she, she you know, the, the intimidation factor yes. kicks in. Mm-hmm. Because, because Mr. Silver uh, Street said that, you know, here comes Sheila with her diamond rings and her checkbook and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Write you a check. And he was telling us a, a story about his neighbor where he said, I'm never selling, I'm never he selling. He had a shotgun on he his porch. a shotgun on his porch, I'm never <laughs> selling. Then Sheila shows up, gives him a check, and the next day he's Two weeks later, he's, he's gone. He's gone. Packed his stuff and he left, yeah. Okay. So now we have this going on. So the, the townspeople decided... They were going to have a vote. Well, well, the thing is, is that once the people who stayed, we got to talk about the people who stayed a little bit. Um, you know, they they felt outnumbered because there are some people who just weren't. They're not going to leave. They're just yeah, going right. to stay okay. there. They feel that they lost control 
they're, they thought that they were being taken over, which they were, in a sense, because okay. they were there buying all the property. They said after the first year, you know, everybody wanted them gone. That was not a rush okay. leash. Uh, so but this is when they decided to fight, and then they started to have Bag the Bogwan paraphernalia all over the town. So that's their way of, of fighting back. And they were talking about how the townspeople... Well, this is the Rajneesh saying about the townspeople, where they were shooting holes in their signs. They desecrated their hotel in Portland, where it was at the Rajneesh Hotel. Uh, it was twice in one day, where they spray-painted. One of the phrases uh, was, you know, get out, of course, and then they said, red is dead. And uh, they were also telling any Rajneesh in the uh, the town that they were going to blow their heads off, so... You know, and that's and that's when sunshine. Well, yeah, because these people are more like country people. They're they they were you know hunters, farmers, ranchers. You know, more of that mindset. Well, you know that kind of uh, American culture is you know. Well, yeah. You just want to take care of the situation, kind of like a wild, like again, wild wild, wild, wild west. west. You know, like you would if it were in the eighteen fifties or something. Yeah, and then sunshine, where she says this this phrase where. You know, pick your enemies carefully because the way those enemies fight, that's what you become. Yes. So it, it, it so it's starting did, to get nasty. So now yeah. it gets nasty. So you now have the, the townspeople retaliating. Now what happened? Well, now to the re- Rajneesi decided to retaliate Okay, back. and what did they do? And the, well, what they were doing was they were actually shining bright lights in the windows in the middle of the night, all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Uh, they were... Filming them and taking photos of them, no matter what they were doing, mowing the lawn, walking right? So they were—it's the a power of intimidation. A power right? of intimidation, which sounds a little familiar about another belief system, but mm-hmm. we won't go into it. But they're basically harassing them twenty-four-seven. Uh, so after the townsfolk were just pretty much out of options at this point, because mind you, they're outnumbered. Just, oh yeah. Just by just sheer numbered people, they're outnumbered by at least five to one at this point. Because I think at this point there's about 7,000 people. No, I think it's 7,000? No, maybe oh, no, a little no, bit no. less than Okay, that. so let's just... But, but yes. the point is is that we need to get to this point where they're going to kill their town. Okay, that's, that's, that's is where I want to go to That's it. next. Yeah. All that's right, let's next. go. So that's when they decided, the, the townspeople decide to uh, disincorporate. Basically, they, uh, at this point, the, the town had the mentality of better dead than red. Oh, okay, so what you can do is they had to have, they had some kind of a, they had, oh, what do they sign up? Anyway, they had it on a ballot to disincorporate. That's correct, yeah. The, so basically, it was a vote. It was it came up to the vote. Now, when they did the vote, the, the turnout on the vote was 120%. This actually had national coverage at this point. This, this story was getting super juicy right. for the press. So it got de- definitely national coverage. And the final tally uh, was... Uh, for the uh, the disincorporate the the final was forty two yes, fifty five no. So the Rajneeshi right. ended up winning the town. Right, that's uh, a big blow right there. Yes, to the townsfolk and a victory for the Rajneesh. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Because in their minds, you know, I mean, if I were one of them, I'd be happy too. Yes, but the townsfolk at this point were at their. I mean, they're at this point. They're defeated. They're completely defeated. All they have left is to go to the next level. Instead of local, they got to go to the 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 dis the U.S. District Attorney's Office. Okay, so they they did go there, and what what well, was said? They were complaining and complaining. When are you going to do anything about this Russian? Because they're because the coverage was there as far as the press goes. So it's not like they're not aware of what's going on. But legally, 
They don't see anything wrong. No, because as was mentioned by Swami, I believe, it he thought it was funny because everything that they were doing at that point up to that was legal. You know, they were just following the laws of what was set through the Constitution, the state government, you know, the whole thing, the municipalities. You know, this could happen to almost anybody if you think about it. I mean, normally it doesn't go that quickly. Like if you have a city like in, in you know, our, our, uh, our county, you might take 20 years before you see a demographic change. Right. Right. But this is within, you know, a year. A year. Yeah. So it's definitely a year. So what the district attorney said in 1982 wasn't a priority for the U.S. Uh, attorney's office. No, because there was nothing there to look so, into. Yeah, but then he said, but 1983 whole different story okay that was the end of uh for for the most part but then this is where you see the turn and shift for the roshnesis as being a uh i don't know if you want to say a villainous but this is where it's a call to arms type of thing and that's the hotel bombing in portland oh did they talk they talked about this they did talk about this This so tell us about what that so basically what happened was the gentleman checked in to one of the hotel rooms uh, went and planted a bomb in the hotel room, came down, grabbed two more bags, went up, and then nobody knows about that individual, but then the bomb went off. And uh, it was about in the middle of the in night. In the middle of the night, three bombs total went off. And what happened was that they used this as a call to arms because they think it's the townspeople that are doing no, it. No, this hotel was in Portland. It's in Portland. It was in Portland, Oregon, yes. Yeah, okay, so, now, and it was owned by the Rajneeshis. It, it was the Rajneeshi Hotel. Or Hotel Rajneesh. Okay. Uh, but the, the, to further the, the interest, it wasn't, it was actually an Islamic militant group that actually But that came up way later. That came out way later, yes. But it's just kind of have an idea of they, they but the it townspeople was, were not the only ones that didn't like this. Okay, folks. so it was a, a, a flashpoint for Sheila. Yes, uh, they, they, uh, they use this, uh, you'll, you'll see uh, the mayor of... Rajneesh make his first appearance, but he this is it was a quote that they use as a call to arms to protect themselves. Now Sheila, yeah, Sheila at this point she's and this is her quote: "If I didn't take the measures to protect my community, then no one else would do it." Mm-hmm. So she took it upon herself to weaponize, and so they bought a weapons ranch. And Sheila uh, feels that if you didn't, it, well, this is her quote: "That if you don't feel that." The way, if you don't feel that way about your children, your community, or your master, then you'd be pathetic. Now, she also uh, ends the episode with a phrase that Bhagwan, what he said in the beginning, and he says, and I quote, I'm not Jesus, and I'm not Gandhi. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, you take both of their cheeks. And that's, that's game, set, match for the episode. Okay. This now sets a, 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 the sets the scene for the next step, as I haven't I've seen it before, but I haven't reviewed it. Uh, the third episode, so we will go into that next yes. time, mm-hmm. and I can't wait. And I think it's a very compelling story. Absolutely, absolutely. So with that, we're wrapped up. We are wrapped up. Okay. All right. Have a good night. Thank you.